vacation Bible school or whatever you want to call it, a week of fun last year in this place, the first week of August. They've been planning for months. There's globes and Saturn and Neptune and Mars and everything. I don't know what planets those are, but our our church has been transformed into NASA for the next week or so uh, because of Tanya, a lot of volunteers, and all the donations and so on that you guys make to make that possible. So before we got into that week, hey, Tanya, stand up. We want everybody to know who this lady is. (laughs) Who's been doing VBS for like three centuries, give or take. Yeah, so, I mean, that's where she found Jesus, and that's where she's helping other children find Jesus, which is actually what we're talking about kind of tonight. But before we got started into the camp, I thought we should pray for Tanya, uh, vicariously through Tanya, the volunteers, and also the kids, and the lives, and the moms, and the dads, and everybody that will be coming through this space. So I'm going to ask Nicole to pray for Tanya, and everybody else just kind of join in by stretching, bowing your head, stretching out your hands, and, and kind of joining us here as we pray. Father, we are so thankful for you, and we're so thankful for the call that you've put on Tanya's life. Thank you for her heart and her dedication to making things just excellent, Father. My eye is already twitching thinking about next week, but I know that your hands, <laughs> I know your hands are going to be on it. I know that you are going to use Tanya's creativity, her energy to touch kids' lives. So, Father, that's what I pray for right now, that They don't just leave with a new pair of shoes. They don't leave with fun games and t-shirts, Father, but that a seed is planted in every single heart of the 58 kids coming to day camp next week, that you would use Tanya to plant a seed that will grow into love for you. God, I once again just am so thankful to work alongside Tanya, someone who is so passionate for you and passionate for her calling in life. Would you bless next week and and go before us and prepare the kids right where they are right now before they even get here. We love you and we thank you and we pray next week is just glorifying and honoring to you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. And kids, you are now dismissed to go with Tanya. Just a handful of you tonight. Don't cause her too much trouble. I know you won't. Welcome, my name is Brian Colberts, and I am one of the pastors here at Refuge Church. We're walking through a series called Synoptic Gospels, and each, every two weeks, in fact, every two weeks, we're doing two messages, one story. So we'll take one section of scripture that is taught in two different Synoptic Gospels, and we'll teach back-to-back weeks on that. And so I had last week and this week. Last week, we looked at the story in the Gospel of Mark. 
That message is online, so you don't have to do them in order. You can go and catch that one after this message if you want to do that. This week, we're going to look at the same story, the same message out of Luke's gospel. And I'll just start off by reading the story this evening. And Luke chapter 5 is where we find it. And it begins like this. One day, while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. And the Lord's healing power was strong with Jesus. Now, before we go too much further, I just want to talk about the Gospel of Luke. Since we're going through the different synoptics Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we should learn a little bit about each one. The Gospel of Luke actually probably got this story, Luke did, from Mark, who we read last week. And Mark probably got the story from Peter. And so Luke, to compile his gospel, he talked to witnesses, and he compiled the data. He's very methodological in his process, and it's the longest of the gospels that we have, the Gospel of Luke. Now, if you remember last week, the Synoptic Gospels, their primary purpose was to what? To share the good news of Jesus. And so all the Gospels, they share a common theme, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. But all three of the Synoptic Gospels, they had different audiences that they were writing to. So last week, we looked at the Gospel of Mark, and Mark was writing to just the early Christian church. He was just trying to get something down on paper before all the witnesses and the disciples of Jesus died. And so Mark is writing his gospel to generic audience, Christians as a whole. Matthew is writing his gospel to the Jews. And so that is his his terminology. He is giving genealogy. He's pointing the Jews back to prophecy in the Old Testament. He emphasizes the law, the fulfillment of the law, and then Jewish concerns and customs and terminology. Mark, Matthew, But we're looking at Luke this week and his gospel. Luke is writing primarily to the Gentiles, those who had been previously excluded from the Jewish faith, those who also tended to like to exclude others in their lives. And so Luke, as he writes his gospel, he's going to tell a lot of stories about Jesus' interactions with the marginalized, screaming kids, the women... (laughs) who are very prominent in Luke's gospel, the poor, the Samaritans, the lepers, and of course, the Gentiles. And so for Luke, Jesus is a savior, not just for the few, but for everyone, for all people. All right, let's continue with the story, verse 18. Some men, Mark told us last week there were four of them, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus. (coughs) Excuse me. Verse 19, but they couldn't reach Jesus because of the crowds. So they went back up to the roof and took off some tiles. Verse 20 says, then they lowered the sick man on his mat into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. It's kind of the story. And so last week, as we looked at this story, we dug into the theology of the story. That this paralyzed man, he comes before Jesus and the deepest desire of his heart is to be healed from his physical condition. And so this man, he comes before Jesus and he's thinking, if only I could walk, then everything would be okay. If I could walk, I would be content, I would be happy, I would never complain again. And Jesus looks at him and he says, but you're wrong. Your joy would be temporary. Because the unhappiness of the human heart, it runs deep. And so Jesus says, first we must heal the main issue in your life. It's not physical suffering, it's sin. 
So Jesus, he had the power to heal this man right there, right then. He has the power to do that for us with that thing we desperately want. On the spot, no questions asked, he has the power. But he knows we need more than a genie in a bottle. We need someone to claw away our sin. And Jesus is that someone clawing away our sin with his love and his grace. A God willing to take on human flesh, to die a criminal's death, so that we could be healed, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. And so that's some of the theology that we can get within this story. But it's not enough to just get our theological ducks in a row. We need more than theology to reorient our hearts. As we just sang, more than words, more than good ideas, we need to live out God's love out in the open fields. And so last week, as I closed the message, I gave you a challenge, a bit of application. Knowing that what we sang about, that the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God left the 99 to chase me down, to heal my sin. Knowing that theology, then what's my response? What is the application to the theology? And we can find that response to grace, I think, by taking another look at this story. By using the same words, the same story, we take the box and we flip it upside down, and we reopen it and take another look. And so to do that, to begin, let me ask you, what character do you relate to in the story? As we read that story, I mean, which character did you put yourself in the shoes of? Was it Jesus? Probably not. <laughs> I don't think any of us are arrogant enough to say, yeah, Jesus, that's me in the story. Was it the Pharisees? Skeptical of Jesus, a little bit self-righteous, wearing your purple wristband so you could get into the VIP seats. Pharisee, maybe, sometimes. Were you the paralyzed man? I think last week, that's where I tried to lead you to, that, to put yourself in the shoes of the paralyzed man. And that's certainly a big part of the theology. There's two other possibilities. We could be the friends of the paralyzed man, or we could be the people in the crowd. And so tonight, for this message, we're going to take a look at the crowd and the friends. The story takes place in Capernaum. If you don't know, Capernaum is Peter's hometown. Some people in the commentaries I read even said that this possibly occurs in Peter's home. Certainly Peter's town, maybe his home, but we know that Capernaum is a small town. Now, I was born in a small town, educated in that same small town, Used to daydream in that small town. Another boring romantic, that's me. And like everybody over 45 is like, yeah, that's funny. I know what you're doing. And everybody under is like, what are you talking about? There's a song called Small Town written by John back then Cougar Mellencamp. He happens to be from Indiana, about an hour and a half north from where I grew up. Hoosier, great little song about a small town. And not to get too controversial tonight, but there's another song going around right now about a small town. Uh, I didn't know anything about this song. Jason Aldean is the artist. It's on Facebook and Twitter. I just see people outraged on one side or the other. And so I asked Karen if she knew what it was about. She didn't at the time. So I said, well, let's Google it and look it up. First of all, I didn't know that people still watch music videos on TV. So that is a new thing to me. <laughs> And then I had to start reading about the controversy. And I'm a person 
because I'm not super political. So I went to, you know, the CNN type sources to get kind of the left-leaning version. And I went to the Fox News, the right-leaning sources. And I just kind of read the pros and the cons and the different angles to it. And as I read that, I said, well, let me try to listen to the song. So I turned it on for like three seconds, couldn't stand it. I hate country music. No offense to anybody who loves it, to each their own. But I'm like, well, let's read the lyrics. And so I read the lyrics, and here's kind of how those goes. It says, try that in a small town. See how far you make it down the road. Around here, we take care of our own, full of good old boys, raised up right. If you're looking for a fight, try that in a small town. Now, both songs are about small town life from two different angles. And I grew up in a town of 900 people, so I do know a little bit about growing up and living in a small town. Now, maybe the songs are different because small towns were a lot nicer than Indiana, than Georgia, or maybe small towns were nicer in 1983 than they are in 2023. But I think both paint a pretty accurate picture from two perspectives of what life in maybe a small town like Capernaum is like. Everybody knows each other. The pace is a little bit slower, a little bit simpler. And there are plenty of good old boys who take care of their own. There's also a lot of like-minded thinking, not big fans of outsiders who do things differently or come in and try to change the small town. And so here we are in Capernaum. And prior to this story, a leper has just been healed. And a healing of a leper is one of the three miracles that was believed to indicate that a Messiah had come. And so in the previous verses, Jesus has healed a leper. It's the first recording ever in Scripture since the giving of the Mosaic Law. And so this crowd, however big it was, has gathered in this small town. And they're thinking, could this be the guy? I mean, at least he is from a small town like us. He gets us. He used to be a carpenter. He's blue-collar. And man, he's going toe-to-toe with those big city Pharisees. That's the crowd. And they're there, and they're enjoying the spectacle. And they're surrounded by like-minded people. And they're loving the parts of Jesus that fit their agenda. And so they're there as a crowd, and they're facing Jesus, meanwhile with their backs to the world, not taking notice of this paralyzed man who desperately needs access to Jesus. And so I read this story And I want to be one of those four friends. I want to think, yeah, man, that's what I would have done. I would have climbed up on the roof. I would have got my friend to Jesus no matter what. But would I? Or would you? Would you climb up on that roof with a house full of good old boys looking for a fight? Would you climb up on the roof, cut a hole, risk your reputation, risk embarrassment, risking this crowd implementing some vigilante justice? Would you risk ticking off Jesus who is there trying to teach? Also, you could get your one friend to Jesus. I mean, most of us aren't willing to even volunteer in children's ministry, yet we think we're going to take that one friend up to the roof and drop him through a hole. See, being paralyzed in an ancient world... It's pretty much a death sentence. It's not a good life. There's no wheelchairs. There's no government assistance. There's no disability benefits. The only way one could survive as a paralytic was depend on your family or probably your friends. And if you're a paralytic, friends are very hard to come by. 
So if you're paralyzed, you were made to think that your situation in life was your fault. That you were in that situation of being paralyzed because of something you did or something that your parents did. And so being a paralytic, it's not just about being paralyzed, which is awful, but it's also about being judged. And so what does someone who feels like they are judged do? Well, they avoid crowds, especially religious crowds who like to remind you over and over and over that something is wrong with you or that God doesn't like you. This man has four friends. And I don't know who these friends are. I don't know if they knew him before he was paralyzed. I don't know where these paralytics have been. Maybe Jesus has healed them in the past. Maybe they were there when the lepers were healed. We don't know. We're not told. But this man is accepted for who he is by these four friends. And they're going to take him to Jesus. And so they grab his mat. They carry him from that house to this house. And verse 19 says, but they couldn't reach Jesus Because of the crowd. The crowd who is there because they are there to see Jesus has now become a hindrance to Jesus. The windows of the house are closed. The doors are hard to get past and are blocked. There doesn't appear to be a way to get a person like this in to see Jesus. And so again, the question tonight is, are we like the crowd? We hear for ourselves while we block access for others. Or are we like the friends who were told who went up to the roof and they took off some tiles? That move in and of itself, taking off the tiles of this roof, I don't know if they considered the risk that they were taking. There were going to be social consequences. They are breaking into someone's house. There's going to be social backlash. There's going to be legal costs. I don't know if there's insurance back then, but the agent is not going to be happy. And then they're going to experience rejection and judgment because of the friend that they're with. And they're disrupting the service. And man, Jesus is trying to teach. And then there's going to be embarrassment because they're drawing a lot of attention to themselves. They have no idea. We know who Jesus is. They have no idea how Jesus is going to react. Of course, the religious leaders are there. And at this point, I mean, we always are like religious leaders, boo, hiss, but they're not the bad guys yet in this story. They're there. They're watching this incident occur. They are the leaders. And so they are risking being ostracized from their religious circles by what they are doing, taking the tiles off of this roof. And lastly, At least if they're like me and a little bit clumsy, uh, there's physical danger. Roofs are not designed to be walked on, especially carrying your friend on his mat. And so it's precarious to say the least. If I have a roof issue, Felix is going to come over and help me because I am not climbing on the roof. He has experience in that area. And so did these friends show up that day with a plan to tear a hole in a roof of a house? Did they bring the tools to remove the thatch and the mud and the tiles? Had they taken classes on roof removal? No. They're improvising right there on the spot at great risk because only one thing matters to them. Getting their paralyzed friend to Jesus. It would have been easy, though, for them to get there and say, Well, gosh darn it, we tried. But, you know, the crowd was there first, so let the crowd do the crowd thing. Maybe next time. Maybe there'll be less people. 
Maybe we'll call Jesus' assistant, try to get an appointment, get on his calendar, schedule something when he's less busy. They don't do that. They say to hell with it. Jesus is here. Yes, this is impractical. Yes, it's potentially embarrassing. Good chance we're going to be hated forever. We're going to be kicked out of the club. But our friend needs Jesus. And so they start removing the tiles one by one until the hole is large enough to lower their friend to meet Jesus. And so again, I ask, are we the crowd or are we the friends? Are we gathered in the house with other like-minded people facing the teachers, singing the songs, applauding at appropriate times, taking the notes, more focused on our experience in the house than our friends outside who are needing to find a way inside. Or maybe we're even blocking access for those outside because they aren't like you or they think differently than you. Or are we willing to start taking off tiles one by one so that our friends can get to Jesus? See, it doesn't always have to be big things. I mean, today, people were here, and they're just out there blowing up balloons and sniffing glue because that's what it smelled like when I came in here tonight, (laughs) painting things. I don't know what all, but little things were happening. doesn't have to be a big thing. There are four friends in this group. That's what we're told. And so one friend probably had the idea, and the other friend is a good encourager, so he encouraged the idea. And the other friend, with his bare hands, begins digging off the thatch and the mud. And then one friend pulls back a tile and another removes another tile. And finally, that hole is big enough that all four of them can grab a rope. I don't know where they found a rope. They grab a rope and they lower their friend, the weight of their friend, who's in need of healing to their friend, to Jesus. Not knowing the outcome, not knowing how this is going to go, simply trusting Jesus. Verse 20, though, says, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. To which one of the friends said, what did he say? (laughs) Tell him he's paralyzed. No, he's not. They hadn't learned the theology just yet. Whose faith does it say Jesus saw before he forgives this man's sin? Says seeing their faith. That's plural, right? And maybe it is the paralyzed man, but it's plural. So it's seeing their faith. Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. You want to know why my sins are forgiven? Brian's, your pastor's sins are forgiven? It's because of the faith of my friends. See, my wife Karen, Jesus saw her faith. And Karen helped remove some tiles of indifference and complacency in my life to help me move towards Jesus. Jesus the faith of some missionary friends who invited me on a trip to Africa, even though I wasn't a Christian, said, come on, anyway, let's go. And they take me to Africa and they give me a glimpse by removing some tiles and letting me see the real Jesus, not our Americanized version of Jesus. Because of faith of some friends like that I've never met, C.S. Lewis, Rachel Held Evans, and Tim Keller, who were my teachers, who were bold enough to relay the gospel in ways that people maybe didn't like and that skeptics like me could relate. See, I thought to be a Christian, I had to check my brain at the door. I thought you couldn't believe in modern science. I thought you had to belong to a certain political party. I thought you had to hate and judge groups of people. I thought you had to accept simplistic answers, that you had to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get over your troubles. And if you couldn't do that, then you needed to just fake it until you made it or died. But I had friends 
who kept pulling back those tiles that kept someone like me outside the house. And because of their faith, I landed on the floor before Jesus and I heard those words, my child, your sins are forgiven, pick up your mat and walk. Refuge Church has a long history of opening up the roof, of replacing and removing tiles. Day camp next week. This is our seventh year as a church doing this day camp, fully funded and supported by the members of this church. Tanya and Jeff have done that every single year, cutting those holes in the roof. And we don't do it the right way, and we don't do it the conventional method, sometimes innovative, but we're removing those tiles so these kids can get a glimpse of Jesus. Right before I went on vacation, I preached a funeral for our past board president, Tom Stanick, who passed away two months ago. And my friend Tom, man, he blasted through roofs. He didn't just remove a tile here and there. He blasted through roofs. There was a family right up the road from the church when we were starting. And Tom's like, hey, we're a new church. We need to help these people. They lost a roof. There was a fire. And I said, nah, Tom, we can't do that. We can't afford that. We're a new church. Let some big church handle that. And Tom says, no, I'm not going to take that for an answer. I'm going to figure it out. Next thing you know, he has 50 people lined up to give these people a new roof and a repaired house so that they could have a glimpse of Jesus. We have a long history in this church. We're seven years old in about, what, three weeks. And so there have been people here like Scott Morrison has moved to the West Coast, but he used to open the roof of this church to addicts helping them remove the tiles of shame so that they could forgive themselves. My wife, Karen, who I mentioned before, she has been, since we started this church, removing the tiles of stigma for those who are battling depression and other mental health illnesses, telling people this is not something that God did to you, this is not something you caused, but it is a condition that we can fight together. Or Lorraine and Greg Gutheim, which maybe many of you don't know, but longtime members of this church, and they have removed tiles of aloneness every first Monday of the month in this building for people who have lost children. Just removing that tile little by little to maybe give them a glimpse of Jesus. And I could go on and on, but I can't help but also point out as I went through that list, that's kind of the OG crew that started this church that have been here a long time. And I could list a lot of others who have moved on They've moved out of state, they've moved out of the area, they're in different seasons of life, or maybe they have moved because our theology has changed as a church and they're no longer here, even though they contributed when they were here. And there's others here in this church that have been up on that roof for a long time that maybe it'd be nice to come down off the roof and do a little bit of different kind of work for a while. Three years ago, almost to the day, I preached a sermon It's currently known as The Sermon. And we lost a lot of people of the church after that. But that was the beginning of our church's process of removing some tiles off of the roof that were keeping out our LGBTQ friends from getting inside the house. And maybe a lot of you that are here tonight that got inside because we took those tiles off so you could get inside, you're like, preach it. Pastor Brian, I know what group you've been talking about that we need to let in. That's right, my group. Woo-hoo. A church that accepts me for who I am. I'm on the inside now. Front row seat to Jesus. Hey, quick, could somebody get on that roof and patch it up so the other riffraff can't get in? 
We ask, can you volunteer in children's ministry next week? Sorry, can't hear you. I'm over here with the crowd. I mean, could you all get here at 5 o'clock, just a half an hour before the service, to make new visitors that are coming in feel welcome? And shh, 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 Jesus is talking to me right now. Or we'll say there's other groups in this community who are being marginalized in southwest Florida. How can we open the roof to them? I'll hear right now, man, I, I, I got to get some healing first. I mean, you know how much church trauma I got, right? And I just can't right now. Maybe, maybe later. You see how easy it is for those of us who are on the outside of the house to finally get inside the house and then turn into the crowd. And so the rest of the story goes like this. There's some Pharisees there. They begin to accuse Jesus of blasphemy. They say only God can give for, forgive sins. And Jesus is like, ding, 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 ding. You, you got it. And so Jesus heals this man. He shows his power to forgive by healing his physical condition. Verse 25, and it says, And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, We have seen an amazing thing today. I tried to highlight the verbs. The crowd watched the man. The crowd was gripped with wonder crowd saw amazing things today. And the crowd did praise God. I've heard it. That's so cool. So cool what our house is doing for these kids next week at day camp. Bravo. Bravo. I am amazed. I am in awe. Look, look what God is doing. I can't wait to watch again next year and the next year. By the way, what's for dinner? And we move on. And we've watched. And we were in awe. And we praise God, but our theology has never moved us into action. The theology of the story is there is a world longing to know Jesus. They might not even know that. They might not know that they are longing for Jesus. They think that their deepest desire is to walk or to be healed or to get a job or whatever, not knowing that all along that longing in the deepness of their heart is for Jesus himself. That is the theology. And the application is, are we the crowd or are we friends? We're a small church. Kind of like a small town. And we can be the John Mellencamp small church where everyone knows each other. And we operate at that slower, simpler pace. And we daydream. And we welcome people into our small town. And it's an inviting church, a place where you can just be you. A place you want to visit. Or we can be the crowd. We can be the good old Christians who take care of their own like-minded thinking, not a fan of the outsiders. Just try having different viewers here and see how far you make it down the road. I'm going to ask the band to come up. Jesus is calling our friends. He's calling our lonely friends. He's calling our skeptical friends. He's calling our young friends. He's calling our old friends. He's calling our affirming friends. He's calling our non-affirming friends. He's calling our friends who saw Barbie last week. And he's calling our friends who saw Oppenheimer last week. (laughs) He's calling friends who think they got it all figured out. And he's calling our friends who are ashamed by what they see in the mirror. 
He's calling our friends who look like us, think like us, and act like us. And he's calling our friends that the only thing that makes us friends is our shared need for Jesus. The world is longing for the treasure that we found in this house. And so be a friend. Open the roof. Why don't you stand as we respond?